Well, God brings heat on Jerusalem. That's right, Jerusalem. He brings the pressure on. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. I'm Janice. And we are talking about the distant past, but at the same time, we also have our mind on Jerusalem today. And we're going to talk about this, Ezekiel 22. It is a great one from the mid-chapter as we study this. Now, we study this also with Corey and Ryan. Corey is here. I'm focusing in on a detail mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 21 about uh, divination practices of the Babylonian king. Ryan? Well, you know, in Ezekiel 14, we read about three very righteous men, Noah, Daniel, and Job. And today we're going to focus on Noah, who is called a preacher of righteousness. Excellent. Very good. I, I like Daniel, too. He's awesome. Uh, anyway, Janice, go ahead. Today, refiner's fire. All right. Ryan and Corey segments coming up in 20 minutes. Janice is coming up in 25. For now, let's open up the Bible and learn what God is saying. Ezekiel 22, 17 through 28. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me, they are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead in the midst of a furnace. They have become dross from silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As men gather silver, bronze, iron, lead and tin into the midst of a furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Yes, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in its midst. As silver is melted in the midst of a furnace, so shall you be melted in its midst, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 17 through 28. We continue on reading through the Bible and uh, we come to Ezekiel, who is a prophet, 
chapter 21 and chapter 22. Now, you know, the Lord is a perfect judge. Did you know that? A perfect judge. He never does anything that is unfair. He can see all things past, present, and future. And he knows the truth about what we do and why we do it. Listen to James chapter 3. This is in the Bible, verse 1. It says, quote, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Close quote. God's anger at the sins of Jerusalem and ultimately against the wickedness of the prophets and the priests is what Ezekiel 22 focuses on. Israel's leaders were not doing what was right. They were focused on making money at the cost of teaching and prophesying the true word of God to the people. Now, this passage could be used today of some television media people and some media ministries and some churches and pastors of the churches. God's judgment has come in the West. And it's interesting that many Christian missionaries have come from the East, from Korea and from Africa and other places in the world to pray for the United States of America. As outsiders, they are easily able to see the issues within Western Christianity. The absolute truth is that God will punish sin. He will. May God have mercy on us. And he can have mercy on us if we make our prayer to Jesus Christ. And there may be people here who are ready to take Jesus Christ. Stay there. I'll show you how to do that. Very simple. I did that 45 years ago. And he changed my life completely. And there are those who don't believe me, think I'm crazy, whatever. That's fine. You can still listen. I'd love you to be there. But take your Bible guide. If you have a Bible guide, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we talk about God's punishment of sin. Ezekiel 22, verses 17 to 28. And uh, all of those passages are here. It's interesting. And if you don't have a Bible guide, you can write for yours or call. And what you can do is uh, go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, click on the Bible guide and uh, it'll take you to a donate page. I want to thank you for your donation in the time of the upheaval of the economies and the world and all of that. God protects us as we give to him. Are we giving truly to the Lord? God supplies our needs. Very, very important to remember that. Now, today we're going to pray, Father, help us to hear how you punish sin. Help us to hear how we avoid the punishment of sin by coming to Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that there are people who are watching who would hear what that means and give their lives to Jesus Christ as we go through this. Lord, because this is clearly in your Bible. And so help us today, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, make it so, Lord, or amen. Very good. Now, let's look at the first verses of chapter 20, verse 17. And it says, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. They are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead in the midst of the furnace. They have become dross from silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem 
As men gather silver and bronze and iron and lead and tin into the midst of the furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Oh my goodness, that's strong. God brings the fire to heat up the city of Jerusalem. God brings the fire to heat up the city of Jerusalem. Beloved, we should repent and ask God for forgiveness and mercy. And beloved, I I know this is, a lot of people say, well, Rod, you're talking a lot about this because it's in the scripture. We're reading through Ezekiel and it's in the scripture. I'm in Ezekiel right now. But let me say that Jesus Christ is the only way to truly finding God. That's what I believe. That's what the Bible says. That's my opinion. But I want to tell you something. If you believe how I believe, you're going to want to stay here because we're going to pray in just a moment. That's important. Let's read on because this is good. Ezekiel 21, 21 to 22. Yes, I will gather you and blow on you the fire of my wrath and you shall be melted in its midst. As silver is melted in the midst of the furnace, so shall you be melted in its midst. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. You know, God makes it clear here that God's wrath changes us. That's the important thing to remember. And that's one of the reasons God does his wrath in the end of time. It changes us. Our Lord and God desires us to change for the better, not to stay the same or grow worse. Beloved, God doesn't desire us to be worse. He doesn't desire us to be in fear, cowering down, being beaten down all the time. That's not what God's doing. He's showing us that when we don't worship God, we worship ourselves and all of that, or we worship others, or we eliminate our lives because we don't think they're worth anything. But God says, wait a minute, I made you, I designed you, I created you, and I need you to be responsive to me so I can use you. Very, very important to hear that. One more passage of scripture in 23 to 28. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between unclean and clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them on with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and and divining lies for themselves, saying, thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not even spoken. God says that the violation of his prophets and his priest make his name profanity. And the way we handle God's word in our lives is to, is is to others is critical. God is holy. Let me tell you something. The word of God is holy. Come to Jesus Christ today and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. 
I need you in my life. I believe you died on that cross 2,000 years ago, paid the cost of sin, and three days later rose to life and ascended to heaven. And I believe, God, you paid the cost of sin, so come into my heart, come into my life. Romans chapter 10, 8 and 9, come into my life, be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Pray that prayer. Come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus today. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today, my segment is all about Noah. Why Noah? He's all the way back in the book of Genesis. Well, the book of Ezekiel in chapter 14 also mentions him along with Daniel and Job. And these three men are highlighted by God himself as prime examples of righteousness. Now, righteousness doesn't mean sinless since no human being is without sin, but it means to be in right standing with God. So these three men loved and obeyed God and had a saving relationship with him. But in this passage, God's patience with his people, who had little to no regard for him, has finally run out and declares that even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were among them and interceding for them, they would still be destroyed, and that Noah, Daniel, and Job would save only themselves. Now, so far this year, I've profiled both Daniel and Job, but not Noah. So today, that's what we're going to do. And the Apostle Peter actually called him a preacher of righteousness. And Noah was tasked by the Lord to build a great ark to save the righteous from the coming global flood, which turned out to only be his family. His father called him Noah, meaning to comfort. For he said, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground the Lord has cursed. Perhaps Lamech believed his son to be the promised Messiah. Noah was now the 10th generation from Adam, and the curse had really begun taking its toll. And through the workings of Satan, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The situation was hopeless, but the few godly people left knew that Messiah was still to come and have victory over evil. Though Noah was not the promised savior, he would be used to overcome the current wickedness. Indeed, when God saw that the earth was filled with violence and that Satan had corrupted all flesh through the unholy unions of fallen angels and women in an attempt to thwart Messiah's birth, he had no choice but to stop it. This he would do through a worldwide flood. But Noah found grace in God's eyes because he walked with God and was a just man. He was also perfect in his generations, meaning his bloodline was not contaminated by the intermarriage. In fact, though Noah was not the Messiah, the Messiah was to come through his bloodline. Thus Noah and his family were to be preserved. So God instructs Noah to build an enormous ark for the coming flood. Though truly a massive undertaking, God gave Noah 120 years notice, plenty of time for both the construction process and for the ungodly to repent. Noah, no doubt, as a preacher of righteousness, was most certainly calling all to repentance during this grace period. God also blessed Noah with three sons by his 500th birthday, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So they too 
probably along with other hired hands, would have also helped in the construction. Thus, by the time of the flood in Noah's 600th year, the ark was ready. He and his family with the animal pairs entered the ark. The flood decimated everything. They would spend roughly a year aboard the ark, and when they disembarked, it was a completely new world. Noah's first act was to make a sacrifice to God, and there God made a covenant with him. Confirmed with the sign of the rainbow, never again would God destroy all flesh with a flood. Life now started anew, and sometime following this, Noah planted a vineyard and became drunk from the wine. When his youngest son Ham discovered him drunk and naked, rather than covering him, he called his brothers to have a look. But they refused and walked backwards toward their father and covered him. When Noah awoke from his wine and realized what had happened, he cursed Ham's son Canaan. Noah would go on to live another 350 years after the flood. So all in all, Noah lived 950 years and then he died. You know, I find Noah's example to be especially encouraging. I mean, despite being in a world that was completely consumed by evil, Noah still maintained his faith and his righteousness. Honestly, the world Noah lived in doesn't seem very far off from our world today. Just take a look around. It's getting more and more evil every day. But let's remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24 regarding his return. He said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, the people of the world at that time were just living their lives as normal and completely ignoring God's warnings through Noah. Does that sound familiar? God's also sounding the warning today through his word and through very many preachers of righteousness. And like he did for Noah's family, he has provided us a way of salvation. And that is through Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh. And if you haven't made him Lord of your life, then now is the time. He is the ark and the only door into that ark. When you put your trust in Christ, you won't have to wonder or worry about the impending worldwide judgment. Like Noah and his family, you will be saved, but you must repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ's work on the cross for the remission of those sins. Then you will be considered righteous in God's sight because he won't be looking at your life anymore, but rather at Jesus's perfect life. Yeah, that's really important. So come to Christ today and know him. We mentioned that frequently on this program and you should do that and we'll show you how as we already have in just a minute, we'll tell you how to pray that. But Corey, go ahead. All right. So the thrust of Ezekiel chapter 21 is that God was bringing Babylon to judge Judah and Jerusalem specifically and the Jerusalem temple. So God was bringing these brutal, ungodly, terrifying nation against a nation who was supposed to be godly, but we're no longer godly. And almost to emphasize the pagan nature of Babylon, in chapter 21, verse 21, God talks about how the king of Babylon will come to a fork in the road, and he will use Babylonian divination practices in order to decide if he should go to Jerusalem or if he should go devastate another city and country first and the lot's going to fall to Jerusalem. So God's emphasizing all of this. Let's take a look at those Babylonian divination practices right now. 
While the Bible contains its fair share of the spiritual, it expressly forbids the practice of divination in any form. It draws a clear line between the covenant of God and attempting to solicit answers from gods and spirits by manipulating offerings. Divination was not only widespread in the ancient Middle East, it was diverse. There were many different ways to gain supernatural knowledge, and because both commoners and kings found value in that knowledge, modes of divination were codified and manuals written very early on in history. Today, museums around the world have about 500,000 cuneiform tablets that are instructions on how to perform and interpret various forms of divination. Stemming from a belief in the connectedness of the physical and spiritual worlds, people often examined their offerings to spirits and gods, believing that the divine would send messages through that connection point. The biblical book of Ezekiel mentions three different kinds of divination that the king of Babylon is known to have engaged in. Divination by sheep's liver, by arrows, and by consulting small idols. These methods of divination and many others are attested to in Babylonian records, but by far the most popular method for kings and the royal courts was divination by sheep's liver. It was the most expensive of forms, as it often involved the sacrificing of several sheep to ensure the practitioner was understanding the message correctly. Divination, especially of sacrificial sheep livers, was never seen as being false. If a prediction turned out not to be true, the fault was placed on the diviner. They were said to have missed a sign or misunderstood the message somehow. Notes would be taken, added to records, and the knowledge of divination grew. According to some of the translated tablets known today, the Babylonians credited a very ancient king who lived before the flood with starting the practice. With its royal origins, natural value in everyday life, and particular value for kings in commanding armies, diviners could gain prestigious roles of honor and fame in their nation. So again, within the context of Ezekiel chapter 21, this is God bringing very brutal judgment uh, for the purpose of justice, unfortunately, in this situation. Yeah, and God always does that. So that's very important for us to remember. Janice? Well, looking at Ezekiel chapter 22, we see the sins of Jerusalem here. And in verses 17 through 22, um, God coming as that one who is a silversmith, um, somebody who takes care of melting down metals and becoming dross. It's really talking about Israel in the furnace. That reminded me of God's refining fire that he brings, that uh, the presence presence of God in this world and in our lives brings change. It always brings change. Uh, nothing is impossible with God. Always there is change. So just as precious metals are melted to remove dross, Israel will be purified by fire to remove her sins and her impurities. Now that reminded me of Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book in the Bible before the New Testament. And I want to read verses 1 and 2, but honestly, if you have not read Malachi or you haven't read it in a while, we'll be getting to it. But I want you to take a few minutes and read that chapter specifically. Malachi 3, 1 and 2 say, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. Remember I said the presence of God brings change and we know that in the New Testament, God sent his only begotten son and he is God and Jesus became that righteousness that we can attain through the gift of his life. He is like that launderer's soap. It says the scripture talks about our sins being like crimson, but because of the blood of Jesus, we can be as white as snow, not because we are such good people, but because of the work of God in our lives when we allow him, when we give our lives over to him, to follow him. So as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've put my notes here. We must allow the correction of God to be like a refiner's finer in our life, to burn away those things that keep us away from God. That's really that big word that you hear us use sometimes, the sanctification of our lives, the change that brings as we read God's word and as we spend time praying with him and, and building our relationship with him and understanding who he is, that we allow him to make those changes in our life. And it's not easy. It isn't easy. And it's not an overnight thing. It's it's something that we need to dedicate our lives to. And God's Holy Spirit will help and teach us if we make ourselves available, if we are moldable. So we need to allow God's refining fire to burn away those things that keep us away from God and let the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ clean us like that launderer's soap that we hear about. We should never want to stay away from God, but we should always allow God's Holy Spirit to teach us and grow us every day. Very important. Uh, the, the daily growth comes from the reading of the scripture and understanding it. And a lot of people, you know, they read and they're mesmerized by it and they memorize scripture, but, and that's good. That's good. But we need to more than memorize it. We need to, we need to understand We need to it. apply it into and our lives. That's, right? And that's the third level is applying mm-hmm. it, using it and uh, spending time and allowing God to show us how to do that. And that becomes a really uh, interesting part of our life because our lives change and we change as people when that happens. We are in a very difficult time economically and every other way in the world. And I want to pray that God helps us. Father, I pray today that your people would see that giving to you means that we have put you first in our lives and you will protect your people. So protect your people. Then, Lord, I want to pray for the world. Help the world to come to you. Help them to know you, Lord. You know, we can't solve our own problems without the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen.